0: Good morning. This morning's reading is Proverbs chapter 19, verses 1, 4, 6, 7, and 17. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Dee. Good morning. It's uh, it's great to see you all here this morning to be with you. Um, uh, Just a way of introduction, if you're new or you've um, never heard me preach before, I I was gone last week. Um, My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and I do um, normally do the bulk of the preaching. And um, I also want to give you a, a heads up that I have a spoon speech impediment. Uh, there it is, example for you on display. But it'll kind of come in and out as, as we go. It's not these frigid temperatures we're experiencing. It's uh, supposed to only get up to 80 today. So I don't know, Arctic blast, right? Um, <laughs> But uh, go ahead. We're going to get into our time here pretty quickly. As Tang um, said earlier, we're wrapping up our series in Proverbs, which we've been in throughout the, um, throughout the last couple of months. And um, we are in it this week and then again and next week. And then we'll be entering into our Advent season and we'll be in that, that, that series for that time. And then as we shared before, but for those of us that want to kind of look ahead, we'll be in the book of Ephesians for um, all of next year of 2018. So that's kind of how we typically go about it. We spend the bulk of the year um, coming under one uh, one book or one big chunk of scripture. And so this morning we're in, again, as you saw there, we're in Proverbs chapter, um, chapter 19. So go ahead and turn with me there if in your book. Bibles if you, or, or your app or you know, uh, however it is that you read God's word, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you in your hands, would you go ahead and hold your hand up high and keep it up and we will make sure that you have one, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and follow along with. E en español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, por favor levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una un um, regalo a usted. Y mañana estamos en Proverbios So again, we want to make sure that everyone has a Bible they can read and follow along with. And um, and, and please keep this. Okay, is our gift to you. So let me go ahead and pray for us as we get into our time together. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We can be together, even as was said earlier this morning. We acknowledge we all come in here from different places. Um, some of us excited and 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 joyful. Maybe tired. Um, m- maybe confused. Um, even hurting. Lord, again, I don't know where we all are, but but you do. You're 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 bigness, the fact that you are sovereign over all things and yet you choose to be near and close is is so profound. And so we pray that our time together would even inform who you are and what it means to be your people. And we ask and trust that the Holy Spirit, through whom these words were written and is also here among us and indwelling those who have put their trust in you, we ask that you would oversee and lead our time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the series that we're in here in Proverbs 19 um, or in, in Proverbs in general is wisdom in dizzying times, right? It's acknowledging that we're kind of getting called to the left and the right and all over the place and that, and that God is, is, is informing what it means to be his people. And he's called us to be a, a people who are informed and defined and shaped by wisdom. And that that means that we see God and ourselves and others and the very world that we live in, we see rightly according to how he does and how he's called us to be. And, and so specifically this morning, we're in a, a time in Proverbs 19 is seeing a love for the poor in a world of plenty. And just on the front end, okay, I want to say again, if um, I preached, there went my chapstick. I don't know how that just fell out of my pocket, but um, uh, there it is. Um, I'm Full of distractions this morning, okay? So we're gonna really again trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna keep us on task. Because um, this morning, if you were here two weeks ago, and that was your first time, and then I didn't preach last week, and then again this week, you're going to think, man, this dude is intense and only picks really intense subjects to preach through, which has been the case here lately as we're in Proverbs, right? Two weeks ago, we looked at um, sex and intimacy, and, and it was a, a significant shaping time for us. And I'll just, I just want to share again on the front of it, even coming into this, I, I feel really strongly, as I've been preparing for this and praying, even this this mm, mm, warning, um, that God, this is kind of a watershed uh, Sunday for us as a church, that that as we come before him and consider what it looks like to engage and love the the marginalized, the underrepresented, the vulnerable, um, among us that, uh, this is, this is significant for, for us. And so what we'll see as we go in that time, my hope and prayer is not that this would be like shaming or, or things like that. But again, that we would just see where God would lead us through this time. And the, and the hope is that we would walk away from here clearly seeing, seeing this, okay, that Jesus became poor so that he would form a people who would be richly blessed and extravagantly generous Right, that that's where we would end up as we walk through this time in these uh, few verses in Proverbs 19. So with that in mind, picking up in verse 1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. And so at first, as I even really poured over this, I was like, man, how do I kind of launch into it? Where's the on-ramp out of that? And, and it seems obvious coming out of my mouth, right? It's it's Better to be poor and have integrity than to be wealthy and be crooked, oh yeah, of course, obvious right g- g- given move on but 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 pressing in and even having some conversations with other people um, with friends who I think would maybe help even shed more light on this on this on this subject on this passage than I was able to. From the front, and they just said, "Yeah, you. It it seems obvious in word, but the reality in how we live our our lives is 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 not obvious at all, right? In fact, you think the way we function is that if we meet someone who is wealthy, has influence, perhaps is you know seemingly has a a good job, has all their stuff together, we overlook all kinds of stuff and just assume, oh man, they're yeah, they've they've got it figured out." or whatever, but someone who's, who's poor, who's lower income, man, we look for all the reasons why they're in that place. Man, something goes wrong, something here, and there, they're, 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 they're under the microscope, under, under our kind of critique. And, and the fact is that the way we function, in fact, just what kind of popped into mind even as I read this was thinking, I've been, um, I've had the, privilege, some would call it that, to be in church leadership in different forms in a lot of different contexts, a lot of different places. I've gotten to sit under and sit on a number of different elder elderships, elder boards, the people that God calls to oversee and lead his church. And, and, and thinking about it so many times, so often is the case is the elders are the people that are, have the most business savvy and the most kind of power and influence and all kinds of foolishness is often overlooked. And and that we assume if someone is lower income or is poor, I'm just, again, I even encourage you to think through, man, how many elder boards or eldership do you see where you would say that the marginalized or the lower income is represented on the, on the eldership? So why is that? Why is it then that this verse even needs to be in there if it seems so obvious? If we could just move on and say, yeah, of course, move. Well, again, because our functional, practical way we go about our lives does not acknowledge an understanding that, that it is better to be poor, better to be lower income and to walk in integrity. And some of that is because we read the Bible um, really wrong. <laughs> we insert ourselves in the wrong places in the stories like again the the way the scripture was written the way god gave us his word was from the bottom up completely And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, the way we go about our lives, the way we tend to function is always from the top down. It's always kind of a, you know, trickle-down approach, if you will. And we always look for the hero or, you know, history, as it says, is written really typically by the wealthy. And yet, when you read God's word, that's not the case at all. Right? Like, we read the story of the Exodus, right, from the, the context of the enslaved. We, like, and someone said, you know, imagine reading the history of the U.S. from the Native American perspective, right? As we come up on Thanksgiving right now, we we understand it right from the pilgrims and things like that. And yet the scriptures most often if God is telling a story, which he is from front to back, the whole cover is the story of God and his works and his character on display in and through his people. It's from the marginalized, from the perspective, again, from the bottom up. And yet we read... The Exodus, right? We read that story and we think, yeah, we're Israel. Of course, I'm I'm Israel. I I fit in there and evil Pharaoh is out there somewhere, whoever that is, whoever, you know, we kind of pick that. But the reality is we're, we're Egyptians, okay? Reading the story of the Exodus and we're challenged to consider how are we gonna engage this story How are we gonna engage the marginalized, the broken, the enslaved, the oppressed from our places of privilege and influence? And and even the the challenge and the call throughout the scriptures is for us to to consider, God, where do I need to see um, myself in in, in the way I've contributed to injustice? And, And then the way, how do I see you engaging that? How do I repent and, and then how do I engage appropriately after having done some work with you? So again, early on here in this, we, we need to acknowledge that, 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 that even now as we consider poverty, it's not just assuming, um, well, yeah, I'm poor. I'm poor. Okay, let me say on the front and again, a couple things that as we engage this subject together, as we begin to just walk through these Proverbs um, together, on the one hand, we're all poor, okay? And we're going to get there in a moment. In some level, we are all poor. We have a poverty relationally in our relationship with God and our relationship with others, even in our relationship with ourselves. Okay, there is brokenness. There is a poverty there, Okay, and, and also, as we read through these Proverbs, I know that even in this chapter 19, there are some places that talk about why people are poor, okay, that, that talks about laziness or slothfulness or some of these things and talks about, you know, the poor in these ways, and there's, there's kind of those charges. But we're not going to go there a ton this morning because the thrust of Scripture and of this proverb particularly is to is to understand god's heart for the marginalized and for the poor and for the impoverished and to consider okay how do i approach relate with interact with people who have less than Okay, and it's not to sit there and look for, because again, I think our propensity, just being honest here, specifically as kind of majority or dominant culture, if you will, is to, is to look through the, is to look for off-ramps, right? Is to look for an out. Is to say, well, yeah, but this person's poor and I'm supposed to come alongside them and engage them and maybe help them and serve them, but uh, there's that one thing that maybe is, oh, they smoke, they're smokers, so, you know, it's not being good stewardship. It's not good financial use, you know, so I don't know that I can help them. I don't know that I should, you know, serve them in that way. Or It's something like this, silly stuff, right? And we, we, our hearts are prone to want to put on blinders and, again, to want to see ourselves wrongly in the story and to look for excuses and opportunity not to see as God sees. Okay, so as we go into this time here, we're looking to see rightly how God sees the world around us and what it looks like for us to be I- engaged in his mission, in his story, in the way he has written it, in the way he has given it to us. Okay, so, so how do you, how do we understand poverty? Uh, and, and again, let me just say to all of us, I don't, wherever we're at financially in this room, every single one of us, whether, and, and I acknowledge too, there are people here, and I pray that we would grow in this in all kinds of different places, okay? That, that, that we would grow in, a, in being an eclectic, diverse community of God's people, socioeconomically, everything. And we could also look at, look at the world and say, well, there are so many more poor people, poorer than I am or poorer than they are, and come up with all this stuff. But the place where we need to be honestly is to say, God, whatever I have, I've been given significantly from you. And how are you calling me to use that? how are you calling me to engage in your work? How are you calling me to see every person as an image bearer of God and to, and to, and to seek to, to relate with them for, for God's glory and for their good. And then how, how am I called to be blessed in that, in that process? Okay. So just to help us even understand the far reaching implications and realities of poverty, uh, pick up with me in verse four. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. A false witness, oh no, that was verse 5. Now skip ahead there to to verse 6. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go from him? He pursues them with his words, but does not have them. Okay, this, this reality here, this picture that we see is that, is that, is that poverty is, has far-reaching implications. It's not just a matter of, of having enough money, though that's a significant part of it. But there's so many other elements to poverty even as we saw here, one of them is just a, a poverty of relationship, of connection, of opportunity. It's just this, this sense of, of not just, oh, just give someone more money and they'll have more opportunity. It'll be easy for them. But there's, there's so many cycles and realities and implications of, of, of finding yourself in a place of being of being poor that's not as easy as, oh, just hit a job and it'll all come together. Okay, one thing that um, came to mind for me, one of my favorite mm, movies of, of all time is um, Cinderella Man. It's this incredible movie for all kinds of different re- reasons why I love it. Um, I just want to check in here full disclosure. Is my audio okay here? Okay, because I want to make sure this stuff's coming across here. I don't, I don't want to be yelling at you if I don't have to, but I also want to make sure that it's, uh, it's coming in here clearly. So Cinderella Ella, man, here's the, here's the story. If you've never seen it, I strongly encourage you to, but I am gonna give away some of it. But, okay, um, so it takes place during the Great Depression and the um, director of it, Ron Howard, did some sc- studying on the Great Depression during high school and was looking for an opportunity to kind of tell some story from that, that time period. And then he connected with, um, with actor... Um, Hustle uh, Crow, right? And, and so they interacted and talked and they kind of came up with this story together. that's a true story of a famous boxer at the time, um, James J. Graddock. And um, James... Braddock had been a successful, kind of successful professional boxer, did really well financially until the stock market crashed. And then he was like upside down or, you know, he had no money. And even the way the story is written on the beginning is just incredibly um, creatively done. It's really slow going. It's really slow building. And you kind of don't, and you're just hearing the story and you get a little glimpse into the realities of poverty, that it's often not just an overnight, like someone made a bad decision and now they're poor and it's like, well, there you go. And it, but you see this unfolding um, process that someone who had wealth and influence and all these things and is now incredibly poor and it goes from bad to worse. And in fact, his son overhears um, his mom, the, his wife, um, talking about maybe we'll have to ship our kids away to go to one of these camps that happened during the Great Depression. In fact, my own grandmother spent um, uh, some significant, Significant time in well, one of these when families couldn't couldn't provide for their own kids, they had to send them off to these really sad, um, kind of like orphanages, if you will. And, and so they were talking about these kids getting shipped off. And so one of the kids gets afraid and goes off and steals a giant piece of meat, like from a, a, a local, you know, butcher shop, and gets this meat and then gets caught doing it because it provides us meat, right? And the parents aren't dumb. They're like, where'd you get this? Like, we can't even provide a couple pieces of baloney. And you see this whole exchange go on earlier with that. Like, How, how'd you get this? And it comes out that he stole. And, and this whole thing goes. And then Russell Crowe is, you know, talking with his son. And, he, and the son breaks down and says, I don't want our family to break up. I'm scared. And then you see this dad whose, whose whole integrity it is on the, there's this, this sense of shame. He's like, man, I'm, I'm supposed to be the one worrying about our family. I will not let our family break up. And then you see again this interconnectedness of this, this, this shame that leads there. And then the, the wife wanting to care for her, her own kids and worried that they're not going to make it, they're going to starve to death. She does end up shipping them off, if you will, when he's not there, when the dad is gone and he gets mad and storms out. And, and this cycle continues, this, these, these broken realities. And so he shows up at Madison Square Gardens with his hat in his hand. And he walks around from all these men that he used to be peers with, that he used to joke with and be in this same circle. And now here he is coming and having to beg. And he walks around and asks for m- money. And, and again, there's so much more to the story. But then the next scene is the hand reaching around, the, around the, the wall and flipping on the lights and the kids running into their own home all together as a family. And they've got nothing. But now they've got a little glimpse of hope. And then kind of fast forwarding there further on is he, he gets his shot, right? He's about to fight the, for the world championship. But this guy, Max Bayer, who had already killed two men with his hands in the ring and this whole thing, and he's getting interviewed. And he said, and, and someone asked him, hey, how did you go from being a washed up boxer? Which I always wonder how like you know, media people have the, the the gall to ask these kind of questions, like, right? You want to be like, who's washed up? Like, you want to step outside right now? I'm a professional boxer. You're going to call me washed up? Maybe that's my own thing, right? That I bring. I got I got my own issues. But um, I, anyway, he's asked, "How'd you go from being a washed up boxer to fighting for the world championship?" And he says, "I finally figured out what I'm fighting for: milk." Something my kids haven't had in a really long time. And so you get this picture into what it looks like to fight. But again, this cycle that you've seen even before that, right? In your heart, I mean, you get chills. Perhaps you even do now and because I just you know, told the story so well. And, oh, and you see, and I won't give away what happens in the end. But, but honestly, it's a little glimpse. And even then, right, we could pause and look at the reality of the connections that this guy already had. All right, he's, he's, he knows people. He's, he doesn't get kicked out of Madison Square Garden for going in, even though he's hat in hand. If you're right, there's all kinds of things and there's all kinds of privilege and, 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 and opportunity that he already has. And yet you still see the, the cycle, like the shame involved. Okay, someone once, once said like, you go, go to, to a lot of places that provide meals on Thanksgiving and you know what, you don't see a whole Ton of, is men. There, in in a lot of cases, there's a sense. Even when there's a whole family, a, lo- a lot of times dad stays back, because it would be better to go without than to than to show up and be like, yeah, I, I, you know, here's, I'm with my family right now. I need this food. And again, these realities here of of again, poverty is not just. Let's hang our hat on, give some money. It's this thing that we're just called to disengage from. There's an element that God calls us into, this this brokenness, these broken cycles where we use whatever we have financially, relationally, connection to come alongside, to to befriend, to get to know, even to learn from. In fact, um, let me read this quote from Mother Teresa, known for Incredible wisdom and action in engaging the poor. And look at what she says. We think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. The poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. Never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time. And always start with the person nearest to you. Again, relationship I've experienced this to some degree in my own childhood, my own upbringing, and again, some of the different people I talked to in preparation this week is the reality, you know, you hear this phrase, the rich get r- richer and the poor get poorer. For so many people, you can see this, this element of, man, if I could just break through, if I could just get a connection, and then you see someone that their, you know, their father has a friend who, who has a connection, and then this person gets a financial scholarship to college and you're like, man, you don't even fully need that connection. I'm just dying for one, like just for one, just one opportunity to get through here for one. And there's these, these multifaceted contributors here. And so much of it again is, is the integrity of relationship. And we see that modeled in Jesus. And so as he calls us in to care for the marginalized and the poor to enter into, uh, to, to, to come alongside, to enter into community. Look at, at verse 17. We get a picture of in God's incredible generosity. Look what he does as he calls us to be generous ourselves. Look how he speaks about it. He says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to who? Lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Again, we might convince ourselves that we are pull ourselves up from our bootstraps kind of people that we've, 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 we've given, we've done all these things. What I've got, I earned. I just, I challenge you, every one of us, no matter how hard you've worked to acknowledge the opportunities you've been given along the way. My assumption here and the, and the assumption in scripture is clear is that everything we have has been given from the Lord. And yet when God calls us to give generously, extravagantly, look what he says. I'll repay you. Okay, not I'm going to repay you through the poor. So, you know, make them give interest and, you know, give loans and ask for it back. In fact, we're told the exact opposite in scripture. But he, he says, I'll repay you for your generosity God's saying, I've been so generous towards you. I've given everything for you. And now I'm calling you to enter into uh, my my way of doing things so that you too can be generous in response to my generosity. And I'll continue to be generous towards you. And I'll acknowledge, right, this again, this is multifaceted. I don't think it means like add a zero to your tithe and offering and God's going to multiply it tenfold and, you know, some like, Churches actually say crazy things like that and do like, I don't know fully how God will repay. I I do know that we see in scripture that he will continue to use us as we are operating for his glory and others good. He'll continue to entrust his resources to us. And those kinds of ways. And yet he also will provide for us. We know in his kingdom that is to come that we will delight in the making new of all things when we see, man, God, thank you for allowing me to participate in you making all things new and you restoring all kinds of brokenness in this world, in my life, that we will, we will delight in that for all eternity. And also, we get to, we get to be repaid through relationship with the poor. Again, that's not something that we tend to think. Going back there to verse one, we tend to look through and think there's really nothing to be gained from being poor. There's no, there is so much as we look through who Jesus chose to spend his time with. In fact, even in Luke seven, you don't have to turn there. I didn't even plan on really fully going here, but you see this exchange where Jesus is having this meal. He's at this wealthy person's house, their house, and this woman who, first of all, poverty and marginalized is not always just financial, okay? There's, in this context, to be a woman meant you were marginalized, you were oppressed, you were not invited in to relationships. So Jesus is there at the Elks Lodge, you know, having this, having this kind of good old boy time, and, and someone comes in, and, and it's a woman, Okay, first of all, like, whoa, what's she doing here? And it's a woman of ill repute, if you will, a woman that would be even more ostracized and overlooked. And she comes in and she gives this incredible gift. She breaks this really wealthy jar of um, oil and she starts to wash Jesus' feet with her own hair. And people are whispering and saying, man, if he only knew who this was, you know, given, you know, doing this thing, like he wouldn't do it. And Jesus begins to answer But his physical posture is so incredibly telling. He addresses the accuser verbally, but physically he turns toward the marginalized and the poor. He looks at this woman and gazes at her and he answers... And he, and he explains what he's doing in his mission to come and to enter into poverty and to become poor himself by physically um, giving integrity and respect to someone who seems to not deserve it. And even by his posture, turning his back on the one who would choose to overlook and marginalize the poor. It's incredibly telling. And so there is so much value in entering into community and worth with the poor. There's so much we have to learn. We need one another, okay? And and, and my prayer is that as we grow here as a church, that we would, again, this would be a watershed moment, if you will, for us, where we would learn the value of being in real community with people not like us. And let me tell you, it is so messy, All right, I think we too often, we don't acknowledge the messiness and the difficulty, right? We just kind of pretend like, oh yeah, it'd be cool. Let's have homeless people here. And then we sit next to someone, we're like, dang, that dude stinks. Man, I, and again, real talk here. We've had people that have, we've been in relationship with and then we came to find out, man, they were in a shelter and they picked up bed bugs. And some of you people know me, I am about as obsessive as they come. So even mentioning that, I someone here I know I talk about. He's like, every time you mention that, I just start itching and scratching and thinking, I'm. Co- and this is, but man, this is reality. Like what we read on paper, come on, we read on paper. Oh, Jesus touched people with leprosy. We don't recognize what that meant in that day, the kind of mess that he was entering into. Jesus was touched by a woman who was was you know bleeding for. 12 years of her life and we don't realize that meant that by even doing that he would become ceremonially unclean okay when god calls us into poverty into relationship with the poor i want to fully acknowledge it's messy and yet it's good praise god jesus wasn't deterred by messiness amen in our own lives, in our own world, in our own hearts. He doesn't say, ooh, that's icky. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get that on me. He entered into it. He was born as a baby. I mean, again, just think through the reality that the creator of all things was born, went through birth. Okay, there's, there, he, And then he was in a manger and he was poor and even he was made fun of where he was from. All this kind of stuff, he enters into poverty, and yet he does this so that we can be richly blessed. Okay, here the whole story of God in a nutshell, again, entering into this story, is that, is that God created us to know him, to relate with him, that our identity, our purpose, our family name, if you will, would come from him. Okay, that we would be able to say, I, I come from God. I'm an image bearer of Almighty God, and everything I do is, goes back to him, and how I live and how I function. And how how I relate with others is, is because he has given generously to me and now I'm a good steward. I'm an ambassador. I represent almighty God. But sin entered into the world or a more helpful word to understand this is rebellion. No thanks, God. I don't want to do things your way. I don't want to take on your family name. I want to make a name for myself. I want to do my own thing. I want to look out for number one. I want to consume and gather and make myself better and make it all about me. And then God says he's not going to leave his people there in that state. And he enters in and he promises to to form a people under one name. This is Genesis chapter 12. And then you see the people Israel coming out of that who he would use to be a blessing a light to the nations, to be generous distributors of God's good gifts to a poverty-stricken world. And yet they, they don't do that. They say, no thanks, I'm gonna go off, I'm gonna do things my own way, and they run off, and then Jesus comes again, and he enters into the story, takes on poverty. He dies on the cross, brutally naked, abandoned, poor, And then God raises him victoriously from the dead and then he calls a people to himself and says, put your faith in me. Be restored relationally through faith in him by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You put your trust in him and you transfer your trust from yourself to him and now you're restored relationally. But there's more to the story. Okay, hear me. Okay, look at me because this is so important. We're told like in Matthew 25, for example, we get a picture of what it looks like to have been given faith in Jesus. Okay, it's, it's not a transactional thing. It's not if you care for the poor, then you will be forgiven and then you won't go to hell and then you will be, get to live in heaven when you die. That's not, it's by his grace alone, his undeserved favor al- alone. Okay, and all those things are true. That through faith in Jesus, you will will no longer receive the punishment that you deserve because that's already been paid on the cross. And now you will be accepted and received into relationship with God for all eternity. And as a gauge of the authenticity of our faith, this is where it gets pretty uncomfortable. We're told specifically in Matthew 25 again, that how we view the poor, how we engage the marginalized, will be an indicator of the authenticity of our faith. Okay, just read a couple of verses with me here. In Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to them needy honors him. James chapter one, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, we, if we just turn our back on the poor, if we ignore the marginalized, if we have a religion that has no room for the orphan and the widow, According to Matthew 25, if we if we don't clothe the naked and feed the hungry and have a heart for there, then if you really flesh that out, Jesus is saying, then did you ever really acknowledge your own poverty and how I so sufficiently provided for you? Now again, I want to encourage you. It's not transactional, but it is consequential. Okay, if you've genuinely, authentically put your faith in Jesus, then a result or another biblical picture is a fruit of that faith will be a heart for the poor. Now, church, let me encourage us right now. We already have this heart among us. Okay, this isn't browbeat, convict, you know, shame time. There are so many stories. I can't tell... All of them and uh, just a couple of a redemption community that heard of a girl, a, a young woman who, who, who was having a child out of um, was was not in a relationship, was not married and had under was under resourced this this redemption community without what's going to be back in it for us, just gave extravagantly to come alongside and serve this young woman and her family. There are people here who own restaurants and intentionally think, how can we employ people that, that would otherwise have a more difficult time getting a job? How can we use our, our, what God has given us to, to give and to bless others. There are people here who have opened up their own homes and said, We wanna we wanna serve people who 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 wanna who wanna grow and what it means to follow Jesus but don't have the have the financial resources to move out because they're living together and they're not yet married and they've grown dependent on 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 two incomes and they don't have the financial resources but they've put their faith in Jesus and now they want to do that and there have been people who said we don't even know these people but yeah of course we we have an extra room we want to we want to let one of them live with us until they can become married like things that are, are difficult and it's good and so let us pray that god we have this heart give us bigger eyes give us bigger hearts let us see more clearly And something that we as a church, Redemption Church as a whole, is really involved in is foster care and adoption. Okay, as we kind of close, I want to share some really practical application points for us to get involved. Because I know some of us hear a sermon like this and we're like, well, what do I do? What do, I, what do I do here? What do I, how do I get engaged? Okay, what, what does it look like? Let me just, one thing, a couple things before, I am gonna spell out some action points and I wanna even share with you some things specifically about foster care and adoption that we do as a church and that we can get involved with as a church. One thing, just so you know, if you're pa- parents in here, um, the kids in the back are, are doing a craft today or kind of a project, if you will. They're forming little um, gift kits or generosity kits to give to people, like when you're driving and you see people that, that are asking for money or that, or that have, or, are under-resourced or in need, where you can give. And there's this whole sheet that walks through. And if you don't have kids even and you want one of these, talk to Jenny Bell, who leads our Redemption Kids ministry, and she'll be there at the kids' um, kind of check-in desk. And you can get one of these, and, or, or talk to one of us, or put it on the Connect card. That's not just for new people, by the way. If you want to get connected, not just in the... Church, but you want to serve or grow more. These are things. And, and this there's just opportunities to say, God, I know a little, but I want to know more. God, how do I engage? And um there, there's just so many opportunities, things that we're doing here as a church. Again, outward focus ministries. There's an outward focus table out there that's there every Sunday. You can stop by there. There's always someone there. Talk to someone. Ask, how, oh, I want to get involved with this. There are six different expressions here locally that we're really involved with that are incredible things going on where we can press in. And again, let me reiterate, not just so we can hang our hat and say we're doing a good thing, but because we need to be in relationship with people that have insights into God and to his character that we don't have. Okay, and there are opportunities. Opportunities to get involved in these ways, and again, um, foster care and adoption is something that we're really involved with here as a church. um, There's something coming up tomorrow. Actually, it was shared earlier, but if you can throw it up here on the screen, we have um, a, a foster care and adoption orientation. And again, as it was said, this is not just, oh, if you want to, if you're at 100% sure you're going to, you know, foster a child. Let me just be clear, first of all, you might not, it's not like there's going to give you a kid, okay? There might be realities where like, that's not going to be good for you or for this child or for this. But that also doesn't mean now you just say oh, okay, then I'm not called to know about this or care about this or be involved with this. This is not an overstatement, hear me. Every single person in this room, I believe, is called to be engaged on some level with the foster care and adoption crisis that we are in. It might, because it might be we're in relationship with people who are called to foster a child. It might be that, like for me personally, just so you know, I went to this orientation. I'll be there again tomorrow, right? Because I'm a slow look a learner I need to learn more but I went to the first one and because of our different family situation and dynamics my wife and I talked we're like yeah right now we're not called to enter into this process you know but we we want to learn more and and now in God's providence I give a kid a ride to soccer to and from soccer practice um twice a week and and this kid um went through this system and is adopted and um it's radically informed how I engage this child cuz I'll be real there are times where I'm like I kind of don't want to give him a ride anymore he says things I don't want my kids to hear or he sometimes acts out and it's difficult and I'm kind of worried and you know there's it's not easy and, and and yet again having gone to something like this and and as I grow and learning God's heart I just think man again Jesus thank you that you don't move away from mess and so by your spirit would you empower me to continue to enter into it and grow in it and learn in it. And it, for me, it's, per, it's led to a ton of repenting and a ton of giving thanks and just growing and saying, that there's so much I don't know. So let me just read a couple of stats here with us. Again, as we kind of wrap up and close here, how we see the, 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 the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and the under-resourced in our world. The foster care and adoption system speaks into so many aspects of our culture. Okay, let me just read again a few of these things with us here. These are by 2015. Here were some, some numbers that we learned. That by September 30th of 2015, there were 13,738 children who were in foster care in Arizona. A, a ton of those meant in, like, in, um, in, in home, not in like, specific foster care homes, but in like, gr- group homes or under the state's care Um, 428,000 kids in the U.S. foster care system. So that's in the U.S. The first number was in Arizona. 81% of those for the first time. 18.8% for the second time. And um, here in Arizona, 4,062 kids by that time were awaiting adoption. Were, where the kind of case was closed, these kids were not going to be reunited with their, with their birth families. Which let me just say on that front too, we're really involved in and really care about. That's kind of option A. That's the first goal is to help families be reunited. Okay, and so we're also really involved as a church in that. Um, and there's some opportunities, some action points I want to give us all again. But let me read some statistics. Just walk through some of these so we see how far this permeates all of society. There's an, um, there was a whole bunch of stuff done, but by the age of 26, kids who kind of grew up or went through the foster care system facing extreme poverty. One is this instability of housing. 28% of children aging out of the system could not pay rent in the last year. 68% of women who have aged out of the system are receiving food stamps unemployment or underemployment, 46% of those who have aged out of the system are currently unemployed. Okay, the household m- m- median income for those in the foster care system, $8,950 a year versus the uh, other um, norm of, you know, 27310 for those who didn't go through foster care. Unaddressed mental health issues. Mental health is the single overwhelming health need of adolescents in foster care. There are predators both inside and outside of the process and the, and the effects are, are significant there. 85% of all trafficking victims have been in the foster care system at one time or another. Again, we have specific outward focus ministries, in this case, Free Ever After, which Abigail Wilhelm um, works for and with and really serves significantly with. And so you see how these things aren't like compartmentalized, right? How, how poverty and marginalization in our society isn't like, oh, well, I care about this issue and not that. Again, you see the overlap and the interplay here. Periodic homelessness. Within one to two years, 58% of kids aging out of the system will be homeless. 50% of the people experiencing homelessness had spent time in foster care. So we come here downtown and we see, you know, homeless youth or some of these kids. As I read some of these statistics, which are here in Arizona specifically, it's acknowledging that by most accounts, Arizona is agreed to be the third, the, no, Tucson is the third poorest city in the U.S. And yet, I don't know if you're me, like you're downtown with your kids, you know, getting ice cream at Hub Ice Creamery or whatever. And, you know, when you see this group of homeless youth and, you know, just without, th- without intentionality, we just kind of ride off, usher our kids or, you know, other side of the street, whatever it might look like. And yet the reality here is image bearers of God, more often than not by no fault of their own, are in places that is one thing led to another. How does God call us to engage? This other one right here is, I only have a couple more. Incarceration. This is so, this is just jarring. 70% of our prison population has at one time or another been in the foster care system. And let me just say too, another reality of brokenness most people who go into the uh into the prison system it's not a system of restoration okay for most it's like now that just sets a trajectory for the rest of life uneducated or undereducated adults 60 percent only have a high school education or less four percent have a four-year degree or more drug and alcohol addiction and abuse. 10% had been referred for substance abuse assessment or counseling within two years of coming out of the foster care system. We have an opportunity as a church to enter in as individuals, as a community. Okay, a few action points. Let me just weave us with as I, as I wrap up and we close here. One is, um, fill out a connect card Okay, there's, there's a link that I want to point you to, too. But one thing, again, is just, just put, I want to know more. I want to hear how to be more engaged. I, I'm the one who responds to most of these Connect cards, and I, I hope I'm, I have a lot to do tomorrow. Okay, I, I'm, and I, we don't know what all the action points are, but like, Hopefully, we're brought to a place here where we're not feeling browbeaten and shamed, and but where we just are, the Holy Spirit is calling us to engage all the more again. Where we rightly see, God, you meet, you met me, you meet me in my poverty, and you have richly blessed me. And now you call me to be extra, extravagantly generous, God. I want to engage on some level, specifically with foster care and adoption. If you want to hear more about these things, again, go to the outward focus table, fill out a connect card. Also, if you're right now currently involved in the, in the foster care process in some way, there's a link here. Please go to that and fill it out. We as redemption church as a whole, we have a lot of resources financially personally, relationally. We want to connect with you, come alongside you, encourage you in this process. And again, an invitation, even a challenge, if you will, we have an orientation tomorrow that does not mean, yes, I'm absolutely, I'm going to be a foster care parent. It means I'm in community with people who are in foster care, or I just want to understand more of this epidemic. So I'm going to go to this. So again, that's tomorrow. Uh, Child care is provided. It's at Vineyard Church. I would ask you to um, fill out the if you could go to that slide again, there too. Um, it's at in your church, so um, there it is. If you have more questions, again indicated on the connect card, um, or go online and you can sign up there. So now, as we close um, church again, I know that we're left in this place of kind of like whiplash, <laughs> like. Whoa, I just got a ton of statistics. I just heard about the brokenness in the world around me. I feel like I'm poor in and of myself right now. I don't know how to respond to this. Um, there's a spiritual reality right now of I'm spiritually poor um, and, and Jesus meets me in that poverty and then richly provides so I can be restored relationally and missionally. Here, here's how we close right now. Let's, let's pray and go before God together, individually. Okay, as a family, if you're here with your spouse, even perhaps hold your spouse's hand as we pray, which is even saying, yeah, we wanna, God, speak, show us how to engage here. Show us what you want us to do as a family. And then let's just pray as a church. How do we engage more? How do we be more? One just action call. There are so many things that even this morning I interacted with a woman in God's providence, knowing I'm about to preach on this, this woman is sobbing, just saying, I'm so cold, I'm so cold. And as I honestly tried to walk past her and thinking, oh, she's probably on drugs, she's probably doing, she's probably just talking to herself. And then I looked down, I was like, those are real tears, though. And I'm about to preach on this. I guess I should probably go back and, and I'll admit there were tons of questions I had. Some of her story didn't seem to line up, all these, but I'm just like, God, we need to engage more. We As a church, we need to be better equipped. If you have a heart for helping to lead us forward in this way, if you want to help put together resources and things to help give out and help us learn how to engage more in this, come forward like we we need to we need to grow in this as a church. So again, let's pray individually, communally, responding to a God who is who has became poor and entered into our poverty and given us his inheritance so that we can be richly bre- blessed and extravagantly generous. Let's pray together. Again, Father, thank you for this time we've had in your word. We fully recognize that it is not comfortable. It's not easy. It's not even clear what we're supposed to do. However, your word is crystal clear that you have a heart for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable. So our prayer right now is, Lord, lead us into how you want us to respond Do you want us to give more? Do you want us to engage more relationally? Do you want us to see more clearly? Do you want us to repent of things we've done or postures we've carried? Lord, whatever it might be, I know and trust that you are leading every one of us individually and all of us corporately as your people to engage this brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen.